Welcome to Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom, the podcast where I interview folks who see the wrong in the world and are driven to make it right. Today's guest is a school administrator from Baltimore who saw the continued unchecked violence against men, women, and children by police as his call to march for justice. The police kill about 1,100 people a year, and a third of all the people killed by a stranger in the United States are actually killed by a police officer. So, like, people really do think that Chauvin was, like, some big thing, and you're like, guys, the highest number of convictions ever in a given year is 11. I read that the sixth leading cause of death for young Black men in America is murder by police. Yep, that's right. Isn't that wild? The truth is so damning, it should radicalize you. He uses his administrative skills in gathering data on police violence, advocating for public policy, and being active in the Black Lives Matter movement, both online and on the ground. To Ray McKesson, right now on Righteous Convictions. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome back to Righteous Convictions. This is the podcast where I have the privilege of interviewing people who are changing the world. Activists, thought leaders, do-gooders. This time we got somebody who checks all those boxes. DeRay is a civil rights activist. He's a podcaster known for his wonderful podcast, Pod Save the People. Great name, too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. But he was formerly a school administrator, and he's been a leader in the Black Lives Matter movement on social media as well as in print and on the ground. But there's so much more to your story. DeRay, welcome to Righteous Convictions. It is so good to be here. So let's go back in time like they do in the old movies where it gets all foggy. Where'd you grow up and how'd you get started and, and what drove you to become the guy that you are now? Yes, yeah, so I'm from Baltimore. You know, it was me and my father and my sister. My mother left when I was three. My father raised us. And in terms of like activism, I didn't do much activism when I was a kid. I was in student government was probably the single biggest influence in my life. Like I was in student government from sixth grade to senior year in college. And I was a youth organizer when I was young, but I did a lot of trainings with young people and adults. I was like a young person who was on these committees and helping to give away money in the city and, and stuff like that. It wasn't until Mike Brown was killed in St. Louis that sort of put me on this path. But student government probably was the most formative in terms of sort of making me believe that young people can have power, that like anybody could plan if you had a good idea, that good ideas could travel. Like all those lessons were student government lessons. 
And after those lessons, you took somewhat of a natural pivot into teaching and school administration. I taught uh, 14 years ago. I taught sixth graders, which is great. And they're old now and it's so weird. And and then I worked in school systems. So I opened up an after school center, worked in Baltimore, and then I went to Minneapolis to lead all staffing. And our like hardest part of the year is the summer because that's where we got to hire everybody for the fall. Mike Brown got killed on August 9th, 2014. And it was like at the tail end of the summer, we were sort of almost done. And I saw it happen on TV and I was like, he was sort of the age that my students would have been at that time. And I was like, the least I can do is stand in the street for two days on the weekend. Uh, And then the second I was in St. Louis was the first time I was tear gassed. And that changed everything for me. Tell me about that. It was just one of those moments where you're like, we didn't do anything wrong. The police said there was a midnight curfew at eight o'clock. They start tear gassing us. And you're like, it's eight o'clock. People forget that there's no aerial footage of St. Louis, the protest back then, because they declared a no-fly zone almost immediately so that they would control the narrative. You know, and, and you think about 2014, remember there was no Twitter video, there were no stories on any platform, there was no Facebook Live, and there was no Instagram Live. So the only video we could do was Vine, and Vine was only six seconds. So it was like, you know, we just did not have the cards in our favor. And uh, that night was the first time I got tear gas, but it was like, Everything was wild. Back then, it was illegal to stand still. If we stood still for more than five seconds, we were arrested. You know, just so many wild things. And the police really were like, they were trying to get us out of there. And if not for us telling the story as publicly as we could online, they would have been successful. The no-fly zone. Like, what were they worried about? That the activists were going to fly over in, like, an F-16? Or, like... uh... They were worried that you were going to see the truth, right? They were worried that people would see how many of us were outside and da-da-da. So they just, like... Nobody could show it. No newspapers, no media. It was unreal. And tear gas is outlawed under the Geneva Convention as a weapon of war, right? So it always amazes me when it's used by authorities in America against peaceful protesters, against American citizens, right? You can't use it in war. But then what I think the hidden truth of Ferguson was, and to extent still is, is that Ferguson for the longest time had been one of the most over-policed and most oppressive cities in America. When I say that, I mean that for a long time, people had been getting arrested, people of color had been getting arrested for mowing their lawn the wrong way, for loitering, for unpaid traffic tickets, for all sorts of stuff. And at the time of Mike Brown's murder by the police, the average home in Ferguson, which is a community that's largely people of color. The average household there had, I think it was 3.6 or 3.7 arrest warrants per house. So that gives you an idea. These people were basically living in, you know, South Africa during apartheid in America, in Ferguson, Missouri. And so finally they had enough. Yeah. And you know, what was so incredible about 2014 is remember that it was like, it wasn't organizations that called people out. It wasn't like everybody at a meeting. It was like, we're going outside. It was like, they left his body in the street for four and a half hours and people were like, enough, you know? And then the police came heavy with dogs and tanks and everything. And then we just stayed in the street. We were in the street for 400 days. And and you're right, you know, the protests spread. I think what the national narrative sort of lost too is that the police killed maybe 10 people while we were in the street, like in the region. So like at a point, it was like we were called to the street because of Mike Brown. And then we stayed because they literally just kept killing people. I mean, like didn't stop. It was, it's still a surreal thing to remember. 
So back in March of 2015, you announced that you were leaving your job in the Baltimore public school system in order to devote 100% of your time to activism. Just packed all your shit in a U-Haul and went to St. Louis and year two of the Ferguson protests was underway. And then you launched a project called Mapping Police Violence, uh, which collected data on people killed by police during 2014. Yeah, so we were just trying to figure out what's true and what's not true. So remember, if you got killed by a police officer before 2013, we sort of don't know. Like, it just, there is no data. And once the protests were winding down, it was like, well, how do we end the crisis, right? Like, as important as the protests were, I knew the protests weren't the systemic change. The protests were the awareness, right? And we were like, the first thing has to be understanding what's true and what's not true. So like there are three big databases of police violence in the country. It's us, the Washington Post, and Fatal Encounters. The difference between the databases today is that uh, the Washington Post only includes on-duty killings that include a gun. So George Floyd's not in their database because he wasn't killed with a gun. If you remember Botham Jean, Botham was the guy that Amber Geiger walked into his apartment in the middle of the night and killed him when he was on the couch. She was off-duty when she killed him, so he's not in their database. And the Washington Post code you as armed if you had anything in your hand at the time of death. So a screwdriver, a bucket, a toy gun, they code your And we thought that that was like not the right methodology. So our database is all on-duty, off-duty, all weapons, where an officer was actively involved in the death of another person. And then Fatal Encounters, they count two buckets that both of us don't count. They count medical emergencies, so if you have a heart attack in the presence of police. And then they count a broad range of suicide. And those two categories combined are almost as big as the whole rest of the other database, which is wild. So we wanted to create this so that people, if you were trying to figure out how many people were killed by the police, that there was an easy number. You wouldn't have to download it. You wouldn't have to sort it. Like there was actually just a number that we'd already gone through. And that was our first big project. So wait, go back to the heart attack thing again. So how does that work? Yeah, so it's sketchy. And we're actually working on a project with this now. But remember, George Floyd was a medical emergency before the video. So he was coded as having like a heart attack or like something killed him, not the police. So that whole bucket of medical emergencies is not reported as killing. So a lot of the databases don't report them. Fatal Encounters is the only one that does report them. And then there are people who, you know, it's called suicide by cop. There are people who the police say like taunt them into killing them, right? So the police will open the door and the person will be there standing with a gun knowing that the police will kill them or they'll like take somebody hostage or something like that. Now, you know, we looked at the data. We're working on this now, but there's no reason why suicide should cluster, right? They should be phenomena. What we believe is happening, just like George Floyd, is that the police are coding things like suicide and medical emergencies, or really they kill people. Like, how do you have a suicide with three gunshots, right? I don't know. Sort of hard, right? Three head wounds. It's like, I'm not sure that was a suicide. So we're working now to clean that data, but that's the difference between the three databases. Yeah, and... When you have a country where police murder over a thousand civilians a year and the second highest total in the Western world is Canada, where 36 people were murdered last year, I think, by police. But then you look at like England, Germany, France, Italy combined, and I think the total number is around 10, you know. So, um, I mean, 10 between all those countries together, you have a lot more people there than America when you add that up. So. Why is it like this? And now we have all the imagery we need, right? Now we have Twitter video. We have all the things that you so rightly pointed out didn't exist during the Ferguson protests. Why are we still here? 
To zoom all the way out, the police kill about 1,100 people a year. It has been pretty consistent over time. People look at 2020 as like a watershed year where we won. And, you know, I'm always cautious about that. The police killed more people in 2020 than every single year of data we have except for one. So that is not what we could consider a win. Um, you know, we poll people. People are more concerned about police violence and community violence, which is interesting. And a third of all the people killed by a stranger in the United States are actually killed by police officers. So, like, crisis is big. Crisis is consistent. Hasn't really changed. Now, I think the the why is complicated in some ways, and then actually pretty simple in others, is I think the big version is that most of the people who do criminal justice research actually do prisons and jails. They don't do the police, right? A pretty small group of researchers who did any studies about the police. So that's like one thing. The second thing is that, you know, there are 18,000 police departments. So there really is not like one sweeping thing. At best, you can change state laws, and that is slow, right? So the federal government has like not a lot of power of the local police. So the only best strategy is actually like a 50-state strategy, and that's hard. So you're often operating at the city level or like the municipal level or the suburbs. There hasn't always been agreement on what the solutions are. So some people want to move the money. You know, we have been advocating for use of force policy changes, no-knock raids, police union contracts. But what we all agree on is that the police actually have like a whole system that protects them. So there are 22 states that have laws that protect, 21 now, states that have laws that protect the police at the state level. The contracts are crazy that make it hard to hold people accountable. The criminal route doesn't really matter. So you saw Chauvin be convicted of murder. Uh, The highest number of convictions ever in a given year is 11. So like, that's not a lever, you know? The odds of being convicted, if I mean, it's very simple, 11 to 1100. It's one in 100. And that's the highest. And the highest year, right? That's the highest. Yeah, that's not much of a deterrent. It's pretty fucking depressing. You know, and yet we have to do something about it. I mean, it's it's hard to believe after we all saw what happened during the George Floyd protests. And again, it was about George Floyd, but it was really about this goes on every day across the country. And then we saw the response to protests about police violence was a ton more police violence, right? And we saw exactly what you described in Ferguson again and again, people peacefully protesting, being clubbed, tear gassed, run over by cars shot with rubber bullets. And I'm talking all of this at the hands of the police. The thing that was sort of different this time is that police were finally wild to the reporters. So in 2014, the police were pretty chill with the reporters and wild to us. So we would try and tell the reporters like, oh, this happened. And they would be like, well, you know, the police said this. And and you're like, no, 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 but they really did. And they're like, well, they hemmed and hawed. Allie Valshi got tear gassed like on TV. And you're like, hey, Allie, we try to tell you that the police were out here doing whatever they wanted and you didn't get it until you got tear gassed on television. And it was like reporter after reporter, they were being like dragged in the street. They were being shot at with rubber bullets. And it's like, yes, yes, that is happening. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. 
Our police kill our fellow citizens with impunity at a per capita rate that dwarfs every other country on earth. And turning a blind eye to it as a country has not been working out well at all. We can't run away from this problem. And, you know, I'm given hope, DeRay, by people like you. So you continued the work you started with mapping police violence by launching Campaign Zero in 2015, delving further into potential solutions and looking at why this seems to remain like a constant every year. Yeah, you know, outside of the obvious answer about racism, right, and structural inequity, I'm always reminded that the police make a choice to kill people. Like the way the police talk about it, it's as if like the gun just like rides up and just like shoots people. And you're like, no, 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 like a person did that. You know, like a person chose to kill that person. And I think that's always lost. You know, the police show incredible restraint when it's white people. They do across the country. We see those examples here. Like there are videos of people like taunting the police, hitting the police, and they survive. A recent example, think about that guy in D.C. who like was armed in front of the Capitol. Yeah. He comes out completely alive, like unscathed. He's like totally fine. And it's like, there is no way that if that was a black person, that they would be completely unscathed like that. So, you know, that's one. The second thing I'll say is imagine if you had a job where it was impossible to be held accountable. You would do whatever you wanted. There's no amount of training to account for that. There's no amount of community sessions to account for that. The police know that there's a 99% chance they won't have any criminal responsibility. And that in terms of administrative, so like their job or their salary, stuff like that, it is so structurally difficult to hold them accountable that they can hedge their bets. And I get it because like the way the system is set now, like the likelihood that they'll be fine is very high. Yeah, the likelihood is they'll be just fine. And even if they get fired, they can and do find new jobs in neighboring jurisdictions, right? Like the guy who killed Tamir Rice. You know, before that happened, he was fired from a nearby police department because he was found to be reckless and dangerous with his service weapon, right? He goes and gets a new job in Cleveland like it's nothing, right? And one second after he rolls up on 12-year-old Tamir Rice, he shoots and kills him. And even the very, very small percentage of those who have actually gone to prison, it's a minute percentage, you know, for torturing people into confessing or other things like that, they typically receive a pension when they get out. And I know you know it's insanely difficult to hold police accountable. So, you know, we also have the only database of police union contracts in the country. We started this in 2015. I used to work in school systems, as I said, and I managed our relationship with all the unions. So I knew the teachers' contracts really well because, like, that was my job. And I was like, you know, teachers' contracts have these weird clauses in them, none, none like criminal, just annoying. And I was like, let's see what the police contracts have. So we did this big project on police union contracts. We realized that they had crazy clauses. We understand why the police aren't held accountable. And, you know, we have a lot of people who volunteer with us, but I personally have to do 20 contracts a week to keep us on track. And I was doing one the other night, um, Detroit. I had to look at theirs. And um, let me read it. This is like, because if I paraphrase it, you won't believe it, but I'm just going to read exactly what it says. It says, any member convicted of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence will be carried working in an administrative restricted duty capacity at any work location as determined by management for nine months from the date of conviction in order to permit the member to have the conviction reversed, pardoned, set aside, or expunged, or if the disqualification is removed because of a change in legislation or the act is invalidated. And you're like, what? 
To put that in layman's terms. If an officer gets convicted of domestic violence, then the contract says that you can't be immediately fired. You'll just be moved to desk duty for nine months with the express purpose of allowing you to fight the conviction. That is crazy. And we know that there's one profession that always leads every year in domestic violence, right? And that is police. They commit more acts of domestic violence than probably the second, third, and fourth highest professions combined. 40% of police families report domestic abuse and only 10% of American families, right? <laughs> there you go. Could you imagine if we were like, you know what? That teacher was convicted, not accused, convicted of child abuse. And we're just going to let them stay in the classroom for nine months so they can fight the conviction. There's like not a world where even the most aggressive people would be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there's just so many crazy details when you get into this, right? I mean, there are police departments I know where if you get suspended for a year, it's actually kind of the best thing that could happen to you because I, I think this was in... Pittsburgh, I read about this, where the pension plan provides that you get a pension that is equal to the maximum amount you were paid during any particular year. So being suspended for a year in the case that I read about meant that this particular officer, when he came back, he got all his back pay. So he made twice or more than twice as much in that year that he came back to work. And then Therefore, his pension now was doubled. So you sit there and go, wait, what? What? This is, we, is this Alice in Wonderland? Like, what are you talking about? This is insane. And of course, we also know that police, I think it was 2014, that seems to be a big year in this conversation, was the year that it was first reported that police stole more property from United States citizens than all the robbers combined. Yes. Right. And that remained true for years to come. And again, people are saying, Flam, you sound crazy, but it's true. Look it up. I mean, it's partially to do with the civil forfeiture laws, but it doesn't matter. That's just a fancy word, civil forfeiture, for stealing from people with a uniform on. That's really all it is, right? I mean, it's, you know, and again, Google that. We're not going to get into a whole long legal definition of civil forfeiture. It's an insane policy, but it allows police to confiscate property from civilians if they think they might have possibly been involved in something that might have been illegal. And then the burden of proof is on you to prove that you weren't, which is almost impossible to do, especially in smaller cases where they confiscate something that's, you know, 5000 in cash. You're allowed to carry cash in America. The best example of, of, of that is really cars. So we, you look at Louisville's department that does this. You know, civil asset forfeiture comes from like a part that makes sense, right? You're sort of like, if you have no reported income and you are driving three Lamborghinis, there is a question about how are you driving three Lamborghinis, right? Didn't file taxes, no income. I don't believe you got that lawfully. So the government can seize those assets. Like, I think people generally are like, okay, this came around the mafia and gangs. Like that's sort of the spirit of the laws. The problem, and this is like what the Louisville police do, is that they own the assets. It's not like they like, take it for a little bit, and then you get it back, they own them. <laughs> so in Louisville, they would seize people's cars and turn them into undercover cars. And you're like, oh my God, you literally just like legally stole that person's car. And now you're just driving it around the city and you're stealing from people who either are too poor to get a lawyer or can't get a lawyer for other reasons. 
And they know that. And you're like, that's nuts. You know, so some places as a part of the reform, they have either kept the practice, but none of the money goes to the police department, right? So like police no longer have an incentive to take people's things because it's going to like the school system. And lo and behold, they seize less things when that happens because like it's such a perverse incentive. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, I'm glad the tide is turning on that practice at least somewhere. And I know you've been hard at work on policy prescriptions to help move the needle on police accountability and making violence a last resort across the board. And I'm talking about things like no-knock raids and other situations where they use the pretext of drug possession to violate your civil rights and put people's lives in very real danger. Breonna Taylor. And then there's that case in Texas right now, Marvin Guy. Remember that name, Marvin Guy. The list is entirely too long. And what's crazy is that no matter how terrible the outcome and how bad it all looks, nothing seems to change. They don't care because the worst thing that will happen, as you pointed out, is that there's a 1% chance they might go to prison. And Shelvin is that 1%. I think that what we have to continue to do more of is like deep solution work that is structural. So like at Game Zero, all we do is structural. We only do things at scale because we realize like that's the only thing to actually like push against the police. So like when we did use of force policies to ban chokeholds, to ban shooting to moving vehicles, to re- require a warning before shooting, to require when officers point their gun at people, like, you know, you can look at that and be like, that's really soft and that's silly. And it's like the police are fighting us tooth and nail, literally. I mean, they are fighting us every step of the way on this because they know that the moment that you ban these things, like their ability to harm people goes down. And with no-knock raids, you know, the solution is not to ban no-knock warrants. No-knock warrants don't matter. It took us a while to figure it out. The fix is actually much simpler than you'd think, right? Until we put it in law in Maryland, there was no state that required that officers be in uniform when they execute search warrants. There was no state that banned officers from using flashbang devices. And we zoom out, remember there are two types of warrants, right? There's a no-knock, which is easy to understand. There's another one called a knock and announce, which is the one you see on TV, which is like, hello, I have a search warrant for your house. And you're like, let me see the warrant. Like in reality, they functionally are the same. The police, you know, they said they said Brianna's name and then they just broke the door down. So the fix is to tighten up the execution of all search warrants. Like that's actually how you do this. So one of the things that we push for is to, the police should have to list out for the judge every single person who's in the house and their age. These are planned encounters, right? So if if you're going to plan to go execute the search warrant, we should make sure it's the best planning there possibly could be. The judge should know whether it's a house with three toddlers or five 90-year-olds. Like right now, all that stuff is just like a black hole. It's sort of fascinating. It is. And, you know, there are all these grotesque examples, right? There was that horrible case in the Deep South somewhere where they, you know, the same thing. They no-knock, bust down the door, threw a flashbang grenade into a crib, right? Into a fucking crib. I mean, there was a baby in the crib who last count had endured like 35 operations related to the grievous injuries that they suffered. It's nuts too, because none of it's necessary, right? They're not looking for terrorists, right? I mean, the overwhelming majority of these raids, they're looking for people who, you know, may have a parole violation or suspected of something to do with drugs or a lot of times nonviolent offenses. And why not just wait and arrest the person if you really need to arrest them when they leave the house? Just sit outside, you know, take them peacefully. 
It can be done. It's done all the time. It's done all over the world. It's done, you know, again, in these cases with mass shootings where they arrest the white person who did it, it sometimes with an automatic weapon in their hands. But that's not, um, that's not the reality we live in. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind-down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Tell me about your book. You published a book called On the Other Side of Freedom. Tell our audience a little bit about it. Yeah, so I wrote a book uh, that came out in 2016. Whew, the book, it was both about a reflection on Ferguson and what happened and sort of an idea, a meditation on like what we do next and what comes next. I wanted to write it then because I was worried that I would forget all of the stories. I was worried that I forget like where we were, how it happened because everything happens so quickly. And that's the book. And I called it On the Other Side of Freedom because I was giving a talk one day and I was like, you know, we spend so much time talking about this side and like how we're going to fix it. But we're, we're trying to do the setup so we can build the next great thing. You know, and, and in our work, we are storytellers at best. We're make believers, right? We're trying to tell a story about a world that we've never seen, but we know it's possible. And that is the work of organizing, right? I've never lived in a world where the police don't kill people, but I know it's possible. I've never lived in a world where everybody has breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but I know that's possible, right? And that was the book for me. It was my attempt to like address those questions while also sort of reflecting on where I was. And again, the name of the book is On the Other Side of Freedom. It's available everywhere. We're going to link to it in our bio as well, as well as, of course, the Pod Save the People, one of the most popular podcasts and one that I enjoy listening to myself. So I hope everybody gets a chance to check it out. And of course, CampaignZero.org, doing some of the most important and profound work in reforming our system. And we will link to the bio there. Please, please, if you don't, even if you do nothing else, click on that, learn more, get involved. Before we go to our closing, the statistic that stuck with me from this show, um, which was, you know, I think I'd heard it before, but I couldn't even process it, but I'm never going to forget it now that you've said it, is the idea that one out of every three strangers murders in America, murders of people who are killed by a stranger is committed by a police officer. Isn't that crazy? That one's crazy. I mean, 
What if you were going to give us two other statistics that should shock everyone into taking some stock and taking some action? What would they be? Mm, that I haven't already said. I'm always drawn by the 1%. Like people really do think that Chauvin was like some big thing. And you're like, guys, the highest number of convictions ever, ever is 11, like ever for the police who kill. Um, not 11%, 11. 11 total. So there's not a lot of data on search warrants, which is not helpful, but there is in Kentucky because the leading scholar on search warrants, he is in Kentucky. And they found that in Louisville, the average amount seized in these search warrants and these no knocks in all, all search warrants was an average of $300. You're like, are we really breaking people's doors down for $300? Like, that is, that's wild. I read that the sixth leading cause of death for young black men in America is murder by police. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Isn't that wild? It's wild. All the truth, that's what we tell people. It's like, the truth is so damning, it should radicalize you. Like, I actually don't need to, like, spruce it up. The truth is actually crazy enough. Yeah, that's crazy. The sixth leading cause of death among young black men in America is being murdered by a cop. I mean, what else can you say? And maybe on that note, we can turn to our closing of our show, which is the magic wand question. And it goes like this. DeRay, well, first of all, thank you again for being here. I know how busy you are. And now the magic wand question goes like this. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing, what would it be? I would, in one fell swoop, undo all of the legal protections in police union contracts in law enforcement officer bill of rights, like just in one fell swoop. Uh, good answer. And before we go to our closing, I'd like to invite our audience to tune in next week when I speak with Alex Duran, who uses his own experience with the pitfalls of our system to work on solutions as he oversees the criminal justice reform portfolio at Galaxy Gives. And now, our closing is called Words of Wisdom. And that's, of course, where I first thank you for being here. And then I switch my microphone off, kick back in my chair, leave my headphones right where they are on my ears and listen to just anything at all you have left to say. Yeah, I just say one of the things as an organizer that I always carry with me is that one is the biggest number. When one is your cousin or your sister or your daughter, one is all you need. One is enough. That with black and brown people, often we need a thousand murders. We need 200 kids gone missing. We need 50 families where their houses got ruined. But we're always reminded that one is the biggest number to you. That one is a big number that allows us to do the work, ask the questions, fight for change. And like, I worry sometimes in the space of people when they talk about data, that this idea of the data is always how many things can fit into a spreadsheet. But sometimes the data is like what's in front of you. It is that person you love who was harmed by a system and you might not know everything, but you know that's not right. And I always go back to this idea that one is the biggest number. Thank you for listening to Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lava for Good. You can also follow me on TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Righteous Convictions with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One.
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.